Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer, as always, is Luke Pellegrino. And our guest this week for a New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, post-New Year's Day edition is James Andrew Miller. Jim Miller has been a guest on my podcast many times. He is a best-selling author, including books on Saturday Night Live, ESPN, CAA. He's the host of the Origins podcast, which is also part of the podcast company that I work for, Cadence 13. And specific to that, check out his Origins of a Champion podcast, which is on Nick Saban as uh, Alabama plays Clemson once again for the national title. You can basically go on Apple Podcasts and uh, go to Origins, and you'll find that really interesting episode. And Jim Miller, of course, has written many, many media pieces. I don't really need to introduce him to this audience. And we are going to focus today on ESPN. We're going to do 35, 40 minutes straight just on ESPN um, as we uh, as we pass over into 29, from 2018 to 2019. ESPN will always remain an interesting story, and even more so as we hit the new year. And Jim Miller joins us today on the Sports Media Podcast. Uh, good morning, Jim, and Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year. All right, uh, let's just, Jim. I want to start. I want to start just with a very much a overall philosophical question to you, and you can go as long or short as you want. What is ESPN right now? Uh, ESPN is a entity in Bristol, Connecticut, that is closer than ever before to its parent company, Disney, in Burbank, California. It is uh, it is a vehicle that is helping. Disney figure out the content world for the next decade, and to that end, if there can be a a new kind of way of packaging content, um, Disney's own skinny bundle, so to speak, then ESPN would have played its role for uh, for Disney in doing that. It's never been uh, the two have never been uh, closer, I think, and. Uh, and I think that's um, probably one of the one of the big takeaways from 2018's legacy. Okay, so that's interesting. So that that inevitably leads to why, and is the why because they made a change in their CEO from John Skipper to Jimmy Pitaro? Is the why something else? But that, that that's the interesting question: is why are these two entities more connected than ever before? Well, uh, in a word, the answer is yes. Um, it is when Skipper left and uh, was replaced several months later by Jimmy Pitaro. I think one of the one of the governing um, one of the governing decisions in, in in picking Jimmy was to have a closer relationship and to have um, more shared agreements on the agenda moving forward. And I think uh, as a result. I think that the dynamic between Burbank and Bristol is uh, much more symbiotic, and uh, and quite frankly, um, that makes it a lot easier for for Bob Iger, who you know decided to stay stay on uh, longer than he had originally uh, had, had longer than he had originally announced. He extended by a couple years, and uh, and so now he really has, I think. A relationship with ESPN that um, and ESPN strategically situated in a way that he wants. So there's a lot to talk about in terms of 2018 um, and what the Pataro regime sort of was about this past year, and we'll eventually get into what their biggest challenge, what what the biggest challenge is for ESPN heading forward. But let, let's talk. Let's focus on one specific thing. You know, ESPN gets sort of draped with a lot of narratives. Some are true. Some are total bullshit. This is a truism I'm about to say. It is very clear that that company made a decision to try to re... How do I phrase this? Um, reset its relationship with the National Football League. There has always been tension between the ESPN and the NFL. Uh, at times, and you've written about this. I mean, you, almost, you wrote a book about it, basically. At times, that relationship has been awful. Um, there's probably many reasons for that, including... At one point, ESPN's very, <clears throat> excuse me, very aggressive reporting on the NFL. But Jimmy Pitaro came in, and he basically, um, he 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 told his charges below him that he wants, and I'm sure this is maybe from a Disney thing. They want this relationship much better. They want to be in the business of the NFL for a long time, and it's at least from the outside, Jim, the optics of it seem like it has gotten better. Uh, 
everything coming out of both sides has been much more positive uh, than ever before. ESPN has made it clear. Seems like they want to be in the NFL business for a long time. What has been your overview this year in of in 2018 of the relationship between ESPN and the NFL? And do you agree with me in that 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 narrative is is a truism that that it seems like the relationship is much better as we hit December 31st, 2018 than it was even December 31st, 2017? Well, there's no doubt. I mean, look, there were two there were two big items placed on Jimmy's doorstep when he became president. One was to make ESPN and ESPN the brand less political, and two was to repair the damage or at least um, make the relationship between ESPN and then and the NFL um, as close as possible, um, particularly in advance of the renewal of uh, new television rights for the NFL, which begins probably in about a year, year and a half. And so I think that, and then by the way, parenthetically, that's something that Iger definitely wants to do is to keep stay in the NFL business. And I think it's fair to say that Skipper really, if it had been up to him alone, he would not have renewed, um, not only not renewed Monday Night Football, but not gone for any other NFL package as well. He wanted to use that. I guess the last deal was $15.3 billion. So he wanted to use that money elsewhere. So I think that that is, you know, without a doubt, those two things being less political and the NFL are the, are the two big headlines. And I think that, you know, look, Jimmy was largely successful um, in that. And I think that there was a lot. Um, Burke Magnus, obviously, who runs uh, programming, has a great relationship with Park Avenue. And I think that uh, there was a lot of work being done behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. I, I mean, I guess there was probably only, I guess it was before the season started when Trump attacked ESPN at his, uh, I think it was down in West Virginia, um, about the national anthem. And that was probably, you know, before the NFL games. And that was the only time that there was any kind of NFL noise, um, on, you know, on, on ESPN's radar. In fact, there's been a lot, a lot of work done, um, you know, to, to repair things. The interesting part, though, and the big question was, you know, part of the struggle um, through the years with ESPN and the NFL was ESPN's commitment to capital J journalism, investigative journalism, and covering the NFL as um, as it you know as it should, as it wanted to be uh, as an independent journalist entity rather than a rights holder. So at the beginning of the year, in fact, I think you and I talked about this um, a year ago. I had said that it was going to be interesting to watch whether or not whoever took over from Skipper, um, whether they were going to have the same drive to, you know, cover the NFL in a very independent way, and whether or not there were going to be enough people who were going to be sticking up for the journalistic side, or there were people, you know, saying just the opposite. And look, there were meetings. I mean, I heard about them. There were meetings throughout the year at ESPN where people, you know, were saying on both sides, I mean, look, we have to be... It's not worth it to to do this kind of piece or that kind of piece because, you know, the NFL holds it against us, and they can hold it against us in myriad ways. And there were other people saying, look, this is part of our legacy, and we've got to keep on going at it. And now some people, there's a lot of people inside ESPN who kind of, it's almost not not conspiracy-related, but they thought, wait a second, Bob Lee's taken off during football season and we haven't had a big investigation into the NFL and boy oh boy the programming guys are really winning and the people who are advocating a closer kinder gentler relationship with the NFL but uh, first of all I don't think that's true about the timing with Bob because he's been thinking about taking time off for quite quite a while Um, and he's not the type to go quietly into the good night but um, I do think that they have somehow quietly reconciled the, that tension between the two. And that's, and I think that Jimmy deserves some credit there because um, it could have really gotten out of hand. In terms All right, of so the let me, uh, yeah, this is interesting, Jim. So let's get into this a little bit. And I'm, I'm curious about your take. Um, I don't think for, for anyone to sort of 
for anyone to say that ESPN is going to abandon journalism when it comes to the NFL is incorrect. That's just not the case. They have um, they have too many producers, too many in-house people, and quite frankly, too many reporters where that's not going to happen. Here's where I think the change is going to come, and it goes directly to what you were talking about in terms of this um, this relationship and, and programming, having a really good relationship with the NFL. I think what's clear, and Brian Curtis wrote about this, or if he didn't write about this, he mentioned this on his podcast, and, and I thought he was dead on. As much as it pains me to praise Brian Curtis. Uh, I'm kidding. Brian Curtis is great. Um, And that is, I think ESPN, at least with the NFL, uh, uh, the majority of their business now is going to be in like sort of what Schefter does really, really well. And that's sort of breaking the transactional part of the NFL. And the transactional part of the NFL is massive. And it, it is of massive interest to millions and millions and millions of people. Where I think we're not going to see... Uh, where we're not going to see stuff anymore is I don't think we're going to see the Fainerou brothers ever do some long-scale investigation on the NFL on head trauma or concussions or places where the NFL will really, really think that ESPN is getting into its finances. And what Seth Wickersham and Don Van Atta do in terms of the ownership, and that's, again, fantastic journalism, great reporting, That's in my opinion, that does, that's not going to bother the NFL as much as the health stuff, because the health stuff is really the third rail for them. So what I think, Jim, is ultimately going to be, what this is going to be about is ESPN will continue to do the kind of stuff that Schefter does, but the the enterprise stuff, the real third rail stuff that, that, that got the NFL really mad at them in the, in the past, I think under Pitaro is gone forever. Um, I don't know if you agree with me on that, but that's that's my read. I don't think ESPN wants that headache, and I don't think they're going to hire the reporters whose um, modus operandi is, is to provide that headache. Yeah, I think, look, I, you know, as I said before, I think the, the NFL is the last mafia in America. They don't, you know, they, they hold grudges, and there's not a lot of margin for error. And so I think that if you start with the premise that the, the negotiations are coming up for renewals in a very short time, and you want to have the best position possible in addition to, obviously, cash equals truth on those negotiations, um, <laughs> then, yeah, this is, uh, you're not going to start doing these massive investigations or, you know, when, there's, when an athlete does something and the league either does something about it or not does something about it, um, go hard on the league's decision. Um, those are all, it's all part of the mix. It's a very, it's a very complicated thing. And it's a, it's an intense marriage of, you know, of business and finance with, um, journalism and editorial judgments and editorial decisions. So I think it's been interesting to watch this past year. And I think that, um, you know, when you think about it, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the outside the lines guys or group or anything, but, was there this big sensational ESPN attack or independent report or uh, on the NFL doing something wrong or judgment or anything this year? Uh, probably not. I, I can't remember one. I can't remember one that leaps up to. Apologies if I if I'm missing it, but I think that this was a uh, a kinder, gentler approach this year. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to sort of look if, like, sort of, I'm sure OT, I mean, OTL's always going to do stuff on Kareem Hunt and, you know, did the NFL's security apparatus do what it did or didn't do, but I think you're right. Um, and quite frankly, let's let's just be honest and transparent. It is better business for ESPN not to go anywhere near this stuff. It's not better journalism, but in terms of business, it's it's a... <laughs> it's an absolute no-brainer. Um, if you it's want to Faustian be in the business bargain. of the NFL, and it's look, the truth Correct. is, yeah. it's a miracle that they were able to do all that they did through the years. And I agree. Uh, they, by the way, they did it also with. I mean, you know, people remember Bud Selig saying, "How many more uh, juicing stories are you going to do on us?" And uh, how many more? I, I mean, they. There was a period of probably a good twenty years where ESPN, despite the fact that it was a rights holder and actually had contracts with certain leagues were, you know, pretty tough and very, very independent um, with their journalism and their enterprise journalism. And I'm not saying that it's over, and I'm not saying 
that it's dead. And, you know, I'm sure that there are pieces here and there which will be outliers to that. But by and large, I think that it's safe to say that there is just a different type of relationship now that exists between ESPN and the NFL. And that's, you know, just one of the many reasons why we can tell that ESPN is going to be aggressively seeking to stay in business with the NFL. And, um, and I would argue also that um, possibly ABC will as well. You could have two packages yeah. from Disney. Right. Fox and Turner have the, uh, uh, the um, League Championship Series, and Fox has the World Series. So look for ESPN to do plenty of baseball juicing stories heading forward. No, but I mean I'm um, talking about in terms of the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm saying huh. like, yeah, they're tr- yeah. I'm saying if it, if an opposite rights holder has the um, has the blue blood property, you know, maybe ESPN goes in terms of investigations. That way. by the way, um, with regard to that, one little side note, which is sure. um, people may think is not necessarily ESPN related, but it will be. These new negotiations with the NFL that will that are coming up are going to be fundamentally different without Les Moonves involved. And Les yeah, Moonves' yeah. relationship with not only Bob Kraft, but the entire NFL. I mean, when the Thursday night package first came up, you know, people asked me who I thought was going to get it. And I, I said, listen, nothing against anybody else, but you've got to give the inside track to um, CBS because of Les's relationship. And, uh, and sure enough, they got it. Uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I mean, can you imagine 60 minutes without a CBS afternoon Sunday afternoon game leading into it um it's possible it's possible i mean abc could abc could go for that package um who knows uh there's a there's a lot up in the air and uh i don't think there's quite frankly i don't think there's a lot of guarantees out there yeah what a pos less movements uh, uh turns out to be but you are correct um you are you are correct about the relationship between Moonvis and those NFL owners, especially the ones on the media committee. That said, I think, um, and again, you know, there, there are the, there are people who cover the NFL day to day who'd be more privy to this, but I, I do think, I do think the NFL still is interested in having the primary part of their games or their, their the the majority of their games and their best games being on networks. So CBS would still have a driver's seat in that, just like NBC and Fox. But well, except if ABC uh, can. I mean, ABC's network. I well, mean, that's that's that right. That is the that is the wild card. And I would say this, Jim. You know, if I was going to Vegas, I might place a futures bet on ABC getting its first Super Bowl in the next ten years. I don't know what's going to happen, but and I would imagine NBC, Fox, and CBS would try to push back on that. But the NFL could get a ransom sum. From ESPN, in addition to the previous ransom sums that they've gotten, if if ESPN slash ABC could get its first Super Bowl ever, and I think they got a shot. I don't know if you've heard anything in terms of talking to ESPN execs, but that that to me would be one. I think it'd be good for the NFL because I think ESPN would promote and market that unlike anything we've ever seen that company do, and I think the amount of money that they could get from Disney for a singular Super Bowl would be would be unbelievable. Well, you know, you have the uh, NBA experience to, for that as well. You know, when the finals were on ABC, it's true. And they, they, you know, that's they they brought in twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven million if the if that series gets extended late. So, I, listen, it, people are going to watch ABC. I mean, the Super Bowl is not going to go down in viewership if it goes down on if it's on ABC. The question is going to be. How does the NFL feel about changing its Super Bowl rotation pattern? And, you know, how would the other partners feel about essentially losing one game in that in that cycle? But we will see what will happen. I want to talk to you about ESPN Plus because that's obviously, um, in terms of Jimmy Pataro's charges, about at the top of the list. And ESPN has acquired all sorts of rights. If you're a soccer fan, it's kind of been fascinating to watch them acquiring um, the available leagues all over the world, including Syria A. They obviously have so much college inventory that they can put on there. They just have their uh, UFC deal that they signed, so you're going to be seeing fights on there. And it's very clear, Jim, tell me if I'm wrong, uh, but what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to maintain as many dollars as they can from the traditional cable model where they're paid over 8 bucks per subscriber 
while at the same time creating this streaming service, which is most likely going to be their business in the future. And they're sort of going to try to, you know, do a very delicate dance of converting as many of those people who have cable ultimately over to ESPN Plus and figuring out a way where um, they don't lose, you know, multiple, 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 multiple millions and millions of dollars as the cord cutters cut and then have other decisions to make, whether they get ESPN Plus or whether they get Netflix. But it's very clear that Jimmy Pitaro must be must be deep in the weeds on ESPN Plus, I would almost say, on a daily basis. Uh, well, I'm going to respectfully disagree, only in the sense that I think it's more, it's, it's more Kevin Mayer at Disney is ESPN Plus. Okay. When Jimmy, when Jimmy came on, um, he, ESPN Plus uh, kind of went to Kevin, and also technology went to Kevin, uh, along with sales. So Jimmy... Not to take anything away from him, but he has a he has a smaller footprint um, than than John Skipper did. But the the ESPN Plus is really going through. I mean, Burke Magnus works on it in ter- at ESPN in terms of programming, but the business side right. of it. For instance, when uh, ESPN Plus made those huge deals with the UFC um, with Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro, it was Kevin Mayer and who uh, pulled the trigger on those. And uh, but I think that everything else you said is 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 right on target because it is a major major priority for them. Um, we learned a couple of things. They learned in 2018 they released the information that they had gotten their millionth subscriber on ESPN Plus, and at the time I had said that um, because of Insider and everything else that at the end of 17 they had about 600,000. So that means that they had only gotten about 400,000. It turns out that there's right. some attrition because of some of those, like insider deals you would get. If you subscribe to something, you would become an insider and you'd get, it was a very complicated thing and there was international numbers and well as well. Um, the reality is by the time the spring started, I think it was down to about 350. Um, so you had about, I think it's fair to say between 600 and 700,000 new subscribers to ESPN Plus to get to that million. So you have a million now. I guess they made the announcement, you know, a month or so ago. So maybe it's over a million. But the truth is that it shows that they're playing long ball because I think the break even has got to be given the some say. I think that most people agree that the break even is around six or seven uh, million. Wow. So they get, they got a ways to go. <laughs> I mean, that's not to take away from some of the success that they've had, but. They spent a lot of money on that UFC deal, and uh, they're going to need to get a ton more of, um, of people involved. I saw the other day, though, um, there was a thing where it says that um, there, that if it, you know you subscribe to CBS All Access or ESPN Plus, um, Amazon was going to give you a uh, credit, like a ten dollar Amazon credit, and uh, and so if they're joining with Amazon now, um, that means like Amazon is um, is rather uh, is rather aggressive in terms of revenue splits with partners, and uh, I know that some of them up to they they could take up to fifty percent of the revenue. So I'm not sure whether or not that's another attempt to inflate numbers or not. I don't know what the revenue split will be on that, but if you're but that's another way to kind of. Um, not play the system, but I think it's an interesting thing to look at about whether or not they're going to be doing more things like that in order to get their 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 numbers up. I look for a call from Chris Laplock and Amy Phillips to you, uh, Jim, coming up <laughs> soon. Uh, one thing, um, one one thing you mentioned, yeah, and I, I'm I'm glad you brought up Kevin Mayer. That's actually a guy I've not really talked too much compared to the other guys. But Magnus is interesting in that I did a piece on the Athletic in maybe it was August. Um, that went into his um, um, negotiation for the Syria A package, uh, working with IMG, um, getting that inventory. So he's a really interesting guy, just in sort of these acquisitions of of rights ultimately for ESPN Plus. So Jim, to, so just to get on this before, to, one last thing on this topic before we get off it, um, like it, so, you put that million number out there, and I understand that's a number that's going to get picked up and stuff. But it's it's not a real number in the sense that 
you know, the as you mentioned, sort of the 600,000 new subs number is the real number, which is a phenomenal number in itself, but it, it's not a million. So, but are you doing that million? Are you putting that out to the market um, to, um, to try to tantalize consumers that, hey, there's a million people who are getting this, look what you're missing out on, or is it more to the to the ad market and the media buyers saying this, we got this hot property. You got to get on, you got to get on board. Well, I think, look, when you have such a major project that's in its infancy, you got to do both. You got to, you got to, you know, play and brag to a variety of levels. I mean, they're obviously talking to the, to the market. They're obviously talking to the consumers and, you know, I mean, look, that, that is, that is a, that is a nice number. Um, but it's far off from, from ultimately what's going to make them financially um, solvent on that. But again, the bigger picture is if they're going for their own skinny bundle and this, this part of it is going to be, you know, the sports part of it is going to be there, then, you know, I mean, that, that may be all that they really care about. Um, they don't need to do a P&L. The big question is going to be at a certain point is, you know, what is the line when you got to put something that's really, really – kind of a big time property on plus and maybe we're not maybe we're 10 years away from that but at a certain point don't you think they're gonna have I, I i'm just i'm using this i'm making this up i'm not saying this is gonna happen but a college football national semifinal game or uh you know a western conference nba game you you know i i think espn plus is excellent and i i think it's actually a really good they have a lot of interesting properties to me but i do wonder to get you know, the number that you're looking for, five million, six million. I do wonder if at a certain point they gotta put one of these gold star properties that are right now on ESPN on plus. Otherwise, you know, they're competing against the Netflixes of the world and the BR lives and and you know, Fox Sports Go and everybody else. You wonder you know, you wonder can they can they get to that five million mark without some kind of massive property that that it has been seen in the past by twenty 25 million people on cable or network TV. Well, look, when you all you have to do is start looking at what they've done and they've spent a ton of money, a ton of money on acquisitions for ESPN Plus because there wasn't they couldn't transfer over some of those properties. I mean, if you think about the past decade for just college football alone, what is it? Over 25 billion dollars they've spent. They've spent over 15 right. billion on the NFL. They've spent, I mean, the NBA deal um, was outrageous. So I think that one of the things that they started with was the premise that they were going to have to spend extra money and come up with new inventory by and large. And they can put some stuff up there, you know, and sports center or whatever, or other kind of, uh, you know, ESPN created programs. But, but in terms of these rights, there's a lot of restrictions on those, on those things, um, in the long form with those deals. So they can't just unilaterally start putting those things around. And it's going to get even more complicated in the New Deal because who knows what Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Twitter, I mean, some of these streaming services are going to be picking around at these properties as well, particularly the NFL. I mean, Amazon had Thursday nights. So what's the long form going to look on that like? I mean, you you can, I mean, ESPN could wind up Let's just keep it simple. Let's just say every new Monday Night Football. But they may not ever be able to put anything from it on ESPN Plus because uh, Amazon might have a digital package from Monday Night Football with the league. So it becomes uh, – it's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, that's a great point by you. And, you know, I should have noted that there are contracts that exist between the leagues and, and the ESPNs and the NBCs. And, and within those contracts, they do say like that, you know, this game must be on ESPN or, you know, the final must be on ESPN or the final must be on ABC. You're right. And I mean, otherwise we would have been watching, we could, we could have, we we could be watching Alabama Clemson on ESPN plus. That's not going to (laughs) happen. Right. They paid a fortune for it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. The CFP is not going to want that. All right. Let's talk about talent um, at ESPN. It has been um, a year where we have seen talent leave, high-profile talent, uh, you know, uh, such as uh, Jamel Hill. We've seen layoffs over the last two-plus years now at ESPN where we've seen great practitioners like um, Jane McManus, et cetera, go. And so um, there's no doubt that ESPN remains a destination for talent. They 
um, brought in Adrian Wojnarowski. Jeff Passan of Yahoo is heading there. Um, but but I want to ask you sort of about the um, the overall. It and tell me if I'm right or wrong here. But it strikes me that ESPN has always sort of been about trying to make ESPN the star, and that's the way to reduce salaries. They try to do that. Obviously, you're, you just read your book, Jim. Uh, in the old days of you know sort of uh, you know not, uh, sports centers the star not Oberman and Patrick Oberman and Patrick would say we were the star they try to get money etc. But my sense is I think we're going to continue to see a reduction in salaries and a reduction in term with the exception of ESPN making some big bets and paying ridiculously big money to the Scott Van Pelts and and maybe Levitard and a couple of other uh, of these people. But I, I sense that. The, the gravy train for so many agents and so much talent over the last 15, 20 years is is ending. And that's not to say that the people who are working in SportsCenter are not going to be paid great. This is all first world problems for sure. But that's my sense as we head forward under the Pataro era, you know, maybe some big salary bets on some big people. But as a general rule, I think they want they want some um, some cost certainty or cost cutting. How do, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, look, I think some of that started uh, under Skipper's regime, although there were notable exceptions like Mike Greenberg. But I think that uh, there's just the the economics aren't there. And uh, I think that, look, the agents know it, and I think the people getting into the business know it. And I think that, you know, when you talk to some of the ESPN on-camera people, there's a level of uncertainty uh, now that there didn't used to be. in terms of, you know, longevity and future contracts and future contracts at even what they're making. It used to be about when you were coming up for for renewal at ESPN, it used to be about what you were going to be able to, uh, you know, get in the new deal, how much better you were going to be able to get, particularly if you had another network after you, which they were very sensitive about. And several people at ESPN talent-wise, were able to really capitalize on because there was interest from other places. But I think that now a lot of people say, you know, they're, they're talking out loud, like, am I going to be renewed? Am I going to have to take a cut? Um, what's going to be my portfolio? So, yeah, that's been a, that's been a massive paradigm shift. And, and mm-hmm. look, it's not just at ESPN, let's face it. Um, it's elsewhere, and it's, it's also in news and in some other places um, in other industries. So, um, but it's it's real and it's and it doesn't seem to be changing. Let's talk about Sports Center quickly, um, and then we'll get to Get Up. It's amazing how little we'll spend on Get Up now that we did at the beginning of the year. But um, oh, I do wait. Can I? Know, one, uh, don't mean to interrupt. Can I mention one thing though? Go ahead. Parenthetically, yeah, please. Um, I done the interview with. Uh, I did an interview with Jamel right when she left, and uh, Jamel is kind of sui generous in the sense that that was that was more about them wanting to try and get that distance dating back to what I said at the beginning of the of of our conversation um, from politics. And there was no better right. way for Jimmy to send a signal to everyone that he doesn't want to have such a you know close connection to the political world than to uh, uh, end Jamel early. And they, they paid her off nicely and uh, she was very good about it and I think it was one of those win-win situations for everyone. But um, I don't think that was, I mean, cause she had time left in her contract and that wasn't about saving money. That was, that was really helping, uh, reorientate the, the company to a less political world, which is something that Bob Iger, you know, I think if he gave marching instructions to Jimmy about what he wanted and quickly, um, that was probably number one. Yeah. Listen, both parties, I think in the end knew that that relationship was, I mean, I reported that months before Jamel uh, eventually left. That 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 relationship was over. It really was just a question of officially when it was over. And you're correct. Uh, you know, both parties make out. Jamel got paid a lot of money uh, to leave early, and ESPN got rid of um, somebody who, at least in terms of many of those executives, they felt was too much of a of a headache or a political uh, uh, touchstone. And so. Yeah, in that sense, Pataro, I'm sure, um, gets a, Disney probably thought that was a huge win because so much. There were many people who who sort of 
thought of if you thought of ESPN as political, you were really oftentimes thinking of Jamel Hill when it came to ESPN. Um, we've already sort of gone through this, you know, the, the sort of I don't want to relitigate the larger narrative of uh, politics and how often people thought ESPN was doing political stuff when it really was people on Twitter tweeting stuff about politics. Big difference. Um, so, Jim, in terms of SportsCenter, um, ESPN public relations has really been pushing. And you always, if you get any kind of win in 2018 or 19 when it comes to viewership, you should push it. But they've been pushing their SportsCenter numbers whenever they're up. And they're certainly up uh, uh, at the 6 p.m. Not a ton, at least in terms of the actual viewership, but up is up. And Van Pelt's had a good year. And when they the the sports center that runs in the morning has done in this universe okay. And all of this obviously is forged from Norby Williamson, who's a longtime executive who's now back um, rerunning Sports Center, who's sort of championing, you know, Sports Center like 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 you used to watch it back in the day. I don't think Norby's a revolutionary. I also think uh, a lot of this PR is sort of making Norby uh, the conquering Roman hero. That said, I would be curious as to your take of what, where, since we talked about it, we have talked about it so much on previous podcasts, um, especially the Hill Smith SC6, and you were well ahead of the curve saying that that wasn't going to work and it was fitting a square peg in a round hole. Um, yeah, where, what, where is SportsCenter now? And, you know, I give Williamson credit. He stabilized it, but I, 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 I still would contend that it, it's a old school sports center is still a relic of the past and you're just trying to hold more than anything else. Well, I mean, look, Norby Williamson, for people who don't know him, I mean, he's Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. You know, <laughs> the shit has hit the fan and um, there's not a dead he's body Winston in the car. He's, but, he's but, win- you're saying he's Winston Wolf? He's, he's the cleaner? Yeah, yeah. He just comes, he, he comes, I mean, look, during the waning days of of SC6, uh, you know, it was, um, it was a mess and by all accounts, uh, and, and he came in and, you know, he started to do these things. It was just, it was, it was really fascinating to watch, uh, you know, not only in terms of programming the show, but all of a sudden the stuff behind them, the pictures of, there was a picture of Obama at one point, there was a picture of stuff, all that stuff was disappearing. (laughs) He just, you know, he just takes care of it. Um, and I think that, you know, he also, uh, he's a huge fan of Keith Overman and Keith Overman, um, yep. not only came back to sports center, you know, on a, on a, uh, not on a full-time basis, but, uh, he also came back to Bristol, which was a, you know, a huge event because even when he was back for his afternoon show, uh, or his other show, uh, several years ago, he was doing that from New York. So, that actually wound up being a, a pretty big deal in and of itself. I remember the, the day that Keith went back, and uh, it was um, it was really interesting. But I think that Norby um, Norby is dedicated to, to trying to do everything they can. Um, it's it's really weird though because there's 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 kind of like a paradox at work. If you watch, uh, let's say the Sage Steel Sports Center, you know it's a big deal. You know they think to have Sage Steel hosting that show, and they should feel that, except that you never see her on camera. The way that they've reprogrammed SportsCenter, it's so much video, and it's so much about not only the highlights, but just package to package to package, that in a way, the anchors are are more marginalized now than ever. Um, <laughs> and um, it's just an interesting way to program the show. Uh, you know, I, that it happened when they opened DC3, and... The, the new digital center and that that vast that vast set that sports center was on um they didn't have you know particularly notable anchors there because the set was a star and i understood that but it's just weird sometimes where you can watch for like i don't know an entire break and maybe not even see the anchors faces um hmm. it's 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 curious it's curious. Yeah, it's a good, good, good observation. I, I think I like Nagandi and Steele in the sense that I think they're both uh, pros and they've 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 stabilized uh, that ship. But that um, 
<laughs> I'm just laughing because I remember getting so many press releases on the new studio, the ESPN. It almost became its own uh, character in an ESPN drama, the $120 million studio that was going to uh, uh, change the world. Um, yeah, well, when the Lord up. wants to punish you, he answers your prayers. Yeah, no kidding. A lot of money there. Um, get up. We spent so much time on this thing over the last two years. Um, to be fair to get up, uh, whoever is even in charge of it right now, I think Dave Roberts, um, it has stabilized somewhat during the fall season by getting, uh, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but this is a pretty fair estimate, between 300,000, 350, 360,000 viewers. Um, that's obviously up from some some pretty ugly lows in the twos when this thing started. That said, for the expenditure, for the amount of publicity, for the marketing, 350000 for an ESPN morning show is not a good number. So, Jim, the question and, – and to their credit, they did change up the talent on that. Uh, you know, Michelle Beadle left, you know, was given money to leave. <laughs> she got a great deal out of it. Uh, but they changed it up. They brought in some new people, new, 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 new faces, and, and, and that's been good for the show. But I still uh, – Jim, I, again, this is just my take. Uh, you know, the, the ESPN will make their decision. I, I, I don't w- – what, what – if you sort of step back and remember what they talked about, what this was going to be, a Mike Greenberg vehicle, um, they, we were both at that upfront for ESPN when they brought Greenberg out, and they really sort of pitched this to – media buyers as like kind of a game-changing morning show. It hasn't been any of that. And so I don't know how this could be really long for the earth. That said, I mean, it's ESPN. If you want to just let Greenberg stay there till the end of whatever his current contract is, you know, you don't have to replace the show, I guess, with another sports center. You can do it. But um, this, 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 this did not turn out to revolutionize ESPN's morning product. So – I realize I just filibustered and asked way too long a question on this. But what, so what is get up right now, Jim, as we head to January 1st, 2019? And at least for that show, probably some lean ratings because you're going you're gonna to leave football and head into February, March, April. Well, before we get to that, I think since it's the end of the year and we're looking back, we, we can't forget about the fact that Michelle Beadle on Get Up basically said, I don't watch, I don't watch football. Yeah, I didn't watch right. it last season. I'm not going to watch it this season. And uh, I mean, that's that takes that, that. There's a lot of gumption there. That that was that was uh, pretty take, hilarious. Take 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 some pretty good lawyering and a nice contract. <laughs> no, I mean you got to give her credit for saying it, but it was just uh, you know a tad askew given the fact that that show was supposed to be um, covering football. But it, look, it turned out to be exactly what we thought it would be, um, which was that the show picked up some momentum and some strength during football season. And, right. uh, but that begs the question that you just asked, which is, okay, what's going to happen next? I mean, look, I, I think at some point uh, you don't want to be spending a lot of money on people uh, who are not on the air, particularly when it's that kind of money like Greenberg makes. And, um, you know, I think that's where it's incumbent upon executives, you know, from Dave Roberts all the way up to Connor Shell, who's in charge of content, to say, look, how are we going to make this thing work, and how are we think how are we going to make this thing survive? Um, they had a long lead time with Get Up. Remember, they yep. announced it and all the deals, and then you know it was it was so long before it went on the air, so they had plenty of time to decide what it wanted to what they wanted it to be, and um, it turned out that once they got it on its feet, they they needed to do more work. But I hope that they've been doing some, you know, work during this season to say, okay, look, we're not going to have NFL games to, 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 you know, to kind of uh, draft after um, draft from. So we should, we should kind of come up with a new identity or new reason for people to watch. Um, That remains to be seen. But I think that, you know, look, it doesn't have to, it's the, you know, with ESPN and this happens with first take, it's all about tonnage. 
You know, people don't understand how Stephen Smith can get, Stephen A can get, you know, paid so much, or that Skip used to get paid so much. But that's like tonnage. That Those hours, and with younger eyeballs and more urban eyeballs and whatever, that's really important to ESPN. It's important to ad sales, and it, it, it lifts a lot of boats outside of its own particular rating. So the question is, become, how can they make um, Get Up viable in a post-NFL or post football season world and i just i don't know it's going to we have uh we have every reason to we have every right to to say to them look what have you come up with for us because uh you know what it was before the the season started was not was not great enough yeah i mean the inter- you 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 make those are really it was interesting to listen to you on that i guess the one thing i would sort of leave leave it with and maybe you agree or not is I think what they're going to have to do if they want this thing to remain is just, and maybe they've done it already, it's to change their expectations of what this show ultimately is going to reward them with with viewers. The, they have, I think this is fair to say, this is not a, um, this is not hyperbole. This show has no chance to get a half million viewers on average ever. It, there is zero chance. Nothing will game change this show short of maybe the coast lighting themselves on fire every show. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So the question is, if you're ESPN and you're Connor Shell and you're all these execs, are you okay with having a morning show on ESPN that averages, you know, 300,000 viewers? And can you make money on that? And is the tonnage that that provides or maybe the opportunity for some people like Maria Taylor and some other people who Cassidy Hubberth to get hosting experience and – to sort of showcase different things at Taylor Twelman's, like is that is that okay? And maybe maybe the answer is Jim, that's okay, and like it's not going to be a ratings hit, but we're just going to keep it on. Um, or maybe otherwise, just adapting if, to the new realities. Look, if you look at the after, maybe if yeah. you look at the network evening newscast, I mean, when Dan Rather was on, he used to get like a twenty nine share. I, I mean, right. you know, and now uh, those those and the audience has shrunk, and they're basically. Uh, those those shows are are just basically breaking even now. I mean, there are times when you have to adapt to the new realities of the marketplace and what consumers are are doing and not doing. And so maybe they say that to themselves. But what I was saying was actually a step further, which is even if you're going to say to yourself, okay, we're not going to get the rating that we thought we might or that might suggest that we're um, getting a good ROI on our on our on how much this bloody thing costs. Um, it still has to be a great show. It still should be a great show. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm really interested in seeing but what let, happens. Yeah, let, let, let's be blunt. It's not a great show. I don't think it's a bad show, but it's not a great show. I think there are better better sports shows in the morning. Um, I think sometimes it just doesn't know what it wants to be. But you know what? There's experiments all over the place at ESPN. I mean, look, this whole Monday Night Football music live concert thing, I mean, I must have heard from. All right, so here, so so. Uh, well, it's good. That's a good segue because I have a. Let's we're gonna do this quick because I know you're a busy man. You probably have Hollywood meetings and stuff. So I'll get you off quick. Um, <laughs> what is going to happen with Monday Night Football uh, in terms of um, next year's staffing? Jason Witten is obviously. Lo- I don't want to relitigate Monday Night Football. Everybody who follows me or has read me knows how I feel about. It. I think probably. Maybe, Jim, you're welcome to give your opinion on that broadcast, but it's very clear Jason Witten's not going anywhere. He's got a long-term, multi-million-dollar contract with that network. The question is very simple: Is uh, will they m- bring Booger McFarland into the booth as opposed to having him um, on the field as they did last year? Will they keep Tessa Tour another year? And I, I would almost guarantee that's probably a yes. So the real question is: um, Is Will we see a traditional Monday Night Football booth with three people in in a booth, or are they going to continue this experiment with Booger McFarland? In terms of the viewership, the ratings were up, so they have that, but all of the NFL was up. That really has nothing to do with the production of the broadcast. That that was all about schedule. I mean, correct. That was all. So what's going to happen? What's what's going to happen? You think with Monday Night Football? If if we're next September. What do you think this show looks like? In terms of I, I don't think they're going to blow it up again. I think they're going to they're going to keep it probably keep the same same team. Um, and I think that whether or not he's, I mean, blocking people's view uh, or he's in the booth, um, I'm not I'm not sure yet. I, I do think though that the pregame and postgame. Um, I, I know that there are a lot of people talking about. Um, 
about that and, you know, trying to yep. strengthen that. And again, that music thing was just really weird because you have all these people Very. that you're paying money to to talk about, you know, football. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, here we go. Here's a, here's a concert. And by the way, from our bad food and small portions file, I don't, I mean, so many people even inside ESPN were talking about who are some of these groups and we didn't really, it was just, a, it was kind of a weird thing. But um, not just that, not, not just that, Jim, but like a lot of times that music would be shown where, you had like a very cool halftime ceremony, Brian Urlacher getting his jersey retired in Chicago or in some of these other places. Like there was literally interesting NFL things going on at the stadium they were at. And instead you got this music stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or afterwards when, I mean, there was one time they were interviewing the post game, they're interviewing Carson Wentz and he was saying how Steve Young was one of his heroes. But by that time they had already switched to Scott Van Pelt, but Steve Young had just been on the, on the, on the field. He was, you know, I mean, he could have been done the interview. It's nothing against Scott, but it's just, it, some of the choreography is really awkward and um, yeah. they got to, they got to figure that out as well. So this is why um, inside, this is why inside the NBA is phenomenal in that, you know, the game's over, they go back to Charles, Shaq, Kenny and Ernie and they riff for like 30, 40 minutes. You know what you're getting as a viewer and it's just so much fun to watch. Um, but there's a oh, consistency. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's that's an outlier. That 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 that's that's yes, very it is an outlier. But that but that's what you should always be. You should be as an executive. That's your goal. That is what you should want always for a post game show is to get that kind of community and continuity and engagement between audience um, and the group that's there. You know because you want to hang out with those four. At Monday Night Football, I think yeah, Van Pelt's the closest, and that's I think why they go to him the most. But yeah, they'll. You know they're 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 always tinkering with their NFL coverage, and in in a sense, that's not a bad thing. And they have a question. They have, look NFL on Sundays. They have some decisions to make there too. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Bill Hoffman will email me. And, and not that's not to say any individual talent on there is not um, good. And I think Ponder actually improved this year as as a host and sort of found her voice on a couple of things. But that mix doesn't work for me. Um, and if I were the executives, I would I change it up. I would bring in um, some new faces and and uh, get some different uh, voices. Well, the new organization puts Lee Fitting in charge of uh, you know basically in charge of football, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he's a very he was the mastermind um, behind the um, later era of College Game Day, and really smart guy and well respected there. So. It'll be interesting to see what he comes up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he would not, I, you know, he's somebody who would put, I mean, I, I'm sure he was uh, one of the forces uh, that pushed Ponder along with Stephanie Drooley there. He, he would not be afraid to put a really interesting college uh, football person in that spot. I, to me, I, I, uh, the, the, the further you can get away with the, the, the traditional paradigm of it's got to be a former coach, it's got to be a former player, um, I think is good. There's a reason why, and again, I know this is subjective, and I know I've said this a thousand times. People on this podcast are probably bored of hearing this. Lewis Riddick is ESPN's best NFL analyst thinker by a lot. And the more you can find people like that to put all over your airwaves, the better position you're going to be in. And it doesn't, a lot of times, that, that person might not be a former player or a former coach. And thinking outside the box now with this stuff, Amy Trask of CBS is another one. This is a good thing. So I hope as studio shows change, we don't get the typical archetype that we've gotten before. All right, finally, Jim, because again, I've kept you for, I've already kept you for much longer than I thought I was going to keep you for. Let's end on politics. It was the central, one of the central narratives that ESPN had to fight over the last uh, two years. As you mentioned, one of Jimmy Pataro's charges coming in was to get the public thinking the organization was less political. Me and you have talked about, you know, how much of that is sort of real or perceived, but it doesn't matter. ESPN perceived it, so they had to change it. Do you think under Pataro, um, we are going to see the total elimination of like the town hall stuff that examines, let's say, the state of the African-American athlete uh, in 2019. I would think, and this is just a guess, under Pataro, we will never again see a choice like Caitlyn Jenner for an ESPY award. Um, but what does that 
in real in real time to you, what what does that mean that Jimmy Pataro comes in and in terms of sort of less politics? I know it definitely means like if you're an ESPN talent, you better be damn careful about what you tweet on your personal feed because they're going to be coming for you. But what is it? What else does it mean in terms of the actuality of the overall organization? Well, I think that you know it's it's a it's a kind of a DNA branding kind of thing, and it was really difficult for ESPN. They thought it was incredibly unfair, and in many cases it was. But the idea that they were the you know almost the MSNBC of sports, um, <laughs> there were a lot of people that were able to to convince viewers of that, and it it, it caught. Um, a lot of momentum, and it 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 definitely hurt them, and uh, they recognized that, and that's why it was such a priority for Bob to say to Jimmy, get rid of this, and so they they took care of Jamel. They've also been fortunate enough where the Kaepernick thing wasn't as big as it was, you know, years before, and they haven't had a lot of um, uh, this past season the kind of domestic abuse cases where you could where you're constantly running footage of these players and the evil things that they did and then having to talk about whether or not the NFL was serious um, or tough enough on these players. I mean, so part of it was their discipline and part of it was just what was going on externally in, you know, the NFL ecosystem. But I think that, look, uh, I don't think you're going to see a Caitlyn Jenner type um giving getting that kind of award although again i come back to this odd question which is i don't really understand the i mean those questions of gender and sexuality and everything else shouldn't be conservative and liberal issues um it it got there was a lot of conflation that went on with that but i think that they're going to be um you know uh quite traditional um in an effort to make sure that the focus is on sports. It's a sports network, and they're going to, as much as possible, try and uh, try and stay away from it. In fact, one of the interesting things is going to be this year now, we're going to have, like, what, 30 people running for president on the Democratic side. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a time when, um, you know, Obama was interviewed. Uh, well, Simmons couldn't interview him, but then they let... Um, he was interviewed later on, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not even candidates who love sports, um, whether they're going to be able to get on the airwaves in any way. Um, I think ESPN really considers it the third rail, and uh, they're going to they're going to try in their best to be as disciplined as possible. There is no chance uh, you will see Beto O'Rourke on the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center, Jim. I'm sorry that uh, it's it, we're not going to see any of that. It'd be my prediction. The question will be when they finally get a to the two candidates um, after the long slog, would they do something with both candidates? Like a sit down with, let's say it's Trump, uh, and a sit down with whoever the Democratic candidate would be on like sort of their viewpoint of sports. That'll be, that's an interesting one to me. Would they go there or, and the, the answer might be they're not going there even. They just they don't want any they don't want that connection to come up at all. They don't want to deal with it, and they'll let other people interview those people about sports. To me, I think that's abdicating something. But for business, that seems to be to be the smart business play. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree. I agree. All right, all right, Jim. I know you hear you're tired already. Let's. I'm going to let you no, go back to sleep. I'm whatever. sorry, it's coughing. You had a, well. You took a long flight uh, yesterday, so you did me a favor. By being uh, by being on this, uh, is there anything you want to promote before we get out? Before I let you go, no, I'm just I'm I'm really curious about the NFL negotiations, which I think they're going to collapse the window because technically Monday night goes Monday night football goes first. So uh, everybody's preparing for those negotiations now as we speak, both financially and just in terms of creatively and the presentations they're going to make to the NFL. And um, you know, I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be a wild one. We All right, I'm gonna, well, I'm going to have you back. Crazy. I want to have you back to talk about other stuff, including uh, John Skipper at DAZN, which is a pretty interesting story. Um, and obviously ESPN is going to be a, uh, uh, a story throughout. Um, and again, I listen, I, you know, you, 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 you've been there for, from, from the old podcast at SI. You're here, here. There's always significant viewership bumps when you're on. So you are not only helping me out, you're helping Lou Pellegrino, 
Chris Corcoran and the entire Cadence 13 family. <laughs> well, congratulations so on your transition <laughs> um, from SI my, to the athletic. My transition from mediocre to above average. Um, <laughs> all right, Jim Miller is a best-selling author, as you know. Google his books. He's on Amazon. He's all over the place. He's the host of the Origins podcast. The last big one was Sex in the City, uh, which I am not a big Sex in the City fan, but the, the people who listened to that told me it was pretty awesome and super honesty from uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and others. So if you're a Sex in the City fan, check that out. Um, and also, obviously, the Origins stuff, uh, uh, you know, with Nick Saban and and, and everything else uh, on there. He's uh, uh, just uh, go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Uh, type in origins with Jim and Williams, I don't mean uh, to uh, do a uh, blatant plug, but I did do I did do a podcast on ESPN and social media, and uh, it wound up being uh, I'm I'm glad that it's gotten a lot of attention because every um, everybody who cooperated from ESPN, it's probably I don't know probably about 15 people interviewed, including Skipper Jamel. Sage yeah, and others. You got a lot um, you got a lot you got a lot you got a lot of the players on that. It was um if anybody's interested in how um social media kind of evolved and devolved at ESPN, um please uh, listen and let me know what you think. Yeah, check that out. And uh listen, Jim Miller gets invited to the biggest podcast in the game, the Bill Simmons is and and you know, the the people <laughs> right. at that level. So for him to for him to slum on this small niche oh podcast. Oh my god, here we go. It's fantastic. And we appreciate it. Can't <laughs> thank him enough. All right. James Andrew Miller, Jim Miller, thank you as always for your time. Thanks for having me. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to James Andrew Miller, uh Jim Miller, for coming on the podcast. He's been on pretty much about as much as anybody, maybe except for John O'Ran. And um, it's always interesting to have a discussion with him about ESPN. I, I appreciate his time, and he's got a, a mega popular podcast, Origins. So make sure you check that out. Uh, the uh, the producers at Cadence 13 do an amazing job with that podcast. That is really, really labor-intensive. Uh, obviously, Jim does a great job of narrating it and putting it together and the booking, but that is, that is a really impressive production, uh, quite frankly, much harder than this one. No offense to my buddy Lou Pellegrino, but that is some hard work that those guys do for Origins. Um, the previous podcasts, if you want to check them out, the one before this one was Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post and Bruce Feldman. Chelsea has an interesting story in that she is um, she's leaving the Washington Nationals beat, which she's been on for a number of years to cover politics. She's going to cover the 2020 election and one of the candidates. So that was... Uh, that was really interesting, just how that works at the Washington Post, and that's really cool. Before that, a NBA roundtable with Howard Beck, Candace Buckner, and Surit Sohi, um, three very prominent NBA writers. Uh, that was a lot of fun if you're interested in sort of in uh, how the NBA is covered and what happens there. Uh, check that out. Tom Verducci before that, Rebecca Lobo and LaChina Robinson on women's basketball coverage in the States, and then uh, Troy Aikman, Kate Abdow, Rachel Nichols, Candace Parker, Jamel Hill, uh, Renee Young, and many others. Just head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch page. Uh, please leave us a review. That really, really helps uh, keep this podcast around, and obviously subscribing is uh, is the reason it exists. Um, one quick note before we go, and I, I want to wish everybody, first of all, Happy New Year, uh, and the best of you for 2019. My family moved from New York to Toronto in 2018, so it was a really major year for us. But uh, uh, but Toronto's been incredibly welcoming. Canada's just an amazing nation. And so uh, a shout-out to everybody who's been so great to us where we've made this uh, this pretty mega move in our lives. Um, so one last note here that I just want to uh, make note of. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I sent out a tweet, not um, – not over my feed, but I responded to a couple former um, colleagues of mine at Sports Illustrated where I said to them that while I know it's not everybody's style, I was hoping I saw more people from Sports Illustrated support our old can our old colleague Maggie Gray, who Maggie Gray, for those of you who don't know, is a WFAN sports talk host in New York City. Uh, she's on the show right before the Mike Francesa show, one of the great colleagues I've had. Uh, during my career, um, just an incredible professional, so super talented. And so um, for the backstory on that is in terms of supporting Maggie, uh, she said some comments about Jim Dolan, the New York Knicks owner, uh, a couple months ago where she really just sort of called um, Dolan out uh, for uh, 
a number of issues, in, including um, some what she sort of considered was some hypocrisy, uh, especially around the Anuka Brown-Sanders situation. You can Google all that. I'm not going to sort of uh, uh, go through that because it would take too much time. In response, James Dolan uh, ordered basically businesses around the country to shut down working with Entercom. That's WFAN's uh, parent company. I think ban Knicks and Rangers players and MSG broadcasters from appearing on WFAN as well. So basically, um, you know, took Maggie's comments, which I thought were legit, and, you know, went sort of full nuclear. I guess that's his right, but ultimately a massive bullying act. Um, so I certainly supported Maggie and support her um, on that. Um, and so what I do want to do, though, is, I, you know, in in tweeting that to a couple of SI colleagues, uh, I, I think I gave the indication that there was nobody at Sports Illustrated who stepped up for Maggie Gray publicly, and that was not the case. So I totally apologize for that. I got to be better with my language in terms of being specific. So as I found out after the fact, there were many people from Sports Illustrated who definitely tweeted some public support out, uh, people who privately reached out to Maggie. So that was a bad job. Um by me. Uh, you know, I, I always want organizations to, especially someone who's been as great as Maggie Gray, you know, you want them to step up in mass for her. And so there were people who did that. And so I, I just should have been more careful. If I was going to be specific, I should have sort of pointed out someone specific as opposed to tag the whole organization. So my apologies on that. I, listen, I worked for Sports Illustrated for 19 years. That's a place I basically grew up in professionally. I spent more hours at that office than I did at my house. Uh, by a lot, and I care about that place. So, um, so the people who called me out privately on that, uh, I got a cell phone that they were, they were right to do that. And finally, Maggie Gray did not tell me uh, at all to do this. And I know she heard from a couple people thinking that she put me up to that. She did not. Maggie Gray doesn't need me to put her up to anything. She's fantastic. So um, that was all me and my doing. Um, I've screwed up on Twitter before. I will screw up again. But, uh, but an apologies to those colleagues who were. Uh, pissed off by that comment, uh, especially those who who um, who supported Maggie. I understand how you feel, and uh, you know I'll try to be more careful with my language. But there's no doubt I'm going to screw up on Twitter again. Uh, that is for certain. All right, so that's over. For uh, and so we'll end it. Boy, I don't know if Lou Pellegrino's still listening, but that was uh, I went longer there than I thought I did. Lou. All right, so for Lou Pellegrino, for James Andrew Miller, this is Richard Deitch. We will see you in 2019 on the Sports Media Podcast.